Welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guests of the podcast are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any financial or investment decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Dale Schaefer, and here's another great episode starting now. Let's go. And this is episode 23 of the Financial Purpose Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Happy Friday. I'm recording this on Friday, May 26th. It is, uh, it's a beautiful day here in Phoenix. It is a holiday weekend, so hopefully you are uh, preparing to do something fun for the weekend. Uh, but while we're here on the podcast today, we're going to talk about stock picking. And I'm just going to say I'm going to talk through some some numbers and I'm going to reference some charts. And if you want to see these, go to lifemoveswealth.com slash stock picking. And you'll get right to the blog post that I wrote yesterday uh, that is basically going to be the template for this podcast. So again, uh, you can see what I wrote. You can see the charts at lifemoveswealth.com slash stock picking. Feel free to read the uh, the blog post and share it, that kind of thing. But I'll tell you, if you're listening to the podcast, you're going to get some extra stuff. So here we go. Uh, all right. So basically, um, you know, the big thing is that stock picking, I think, is quite a challenge. I mean, if you're an honest investor and you're really honest about it, it is very hard to do stock picking and to do it well. And what I have learned in my career and through my own, you know, bad financial decisions or bad investing decisions is that I could have a very strong conviction and it'll work one year and that same strong conviction will not work the next year. And so one, one year can be outperforming and the next year can be underperforming and vice versa. And it's funny because I recently saw a, and kind of what prompted this podcast episode is I saw a discussion on Twitter among some of the financial professionals that I interact with often. And uh, one of them asked the following question, and it basically is this. So without Googling the answer, and you can do this yourself, you can think about it and maybe make a guess. I'll give you a, a couple of seconds to think about it. So without picking up your phone or talk, you know, typing into your computer without Googling the answer, what is the best performing U.S. stock over the last 20 years. So think domestic companies. What is the best performing stock over the past 20 years? So I'll give you a, a minute to think about it. And you can come up with any name that you want. I had one too. So here's here's what I guessed. I thought about it. And I knew it wasn't going to be something typical. Uh, because I look, at, I look at charts all the time. So I knew it wasn't going to be something like an Apple or a Microsoft or a Google or whatever. I picked Philip Morris um, because Philip Morris has had crazy performance over the past uh, 40 years for sure. Uh, and that's without the ability to uh, to advertise. And uh, and even though tobacco use has gone down, um, especially among younger demographics, uh, the stock still continues and has continued to perform well. So, uh, all right. So if you have yours, I told you mine, Philip Morris. Some of the other responses on the Twitter thread were companies that you would expect, like Microsoft and uh, United Health Group and Apple and Amazon and NVIDIA, which is having a big run over the past couple of days. 
Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, which is a hard one to argue against. Uh, Walmart, Johnson & Johnson, Netflix, all of those are, are really good guesses. But the correct answer, believe it or not, Monster Beverage. So look this up. Uh, whatever app you're using to um, to look at stocks, I, I'll tell you one that I have uh, been using for a little bit now that's just kind of fun to have up on my screen because it's a nice little f complete dashboard. It's free, by the way, and you can see everything. You can see um, you know the the primary indexes. You can see you know large, small, mid, whatever's working value growth. I mean, you can see the style boxes. You can see a lot of information. Bond rates, currency rates, all of that in one dashboard. Uh, and it's Koifin, K-O-I-F-I-N.com. Sign up, it's free, and uh, it's a web-based uh, stock dashboard. But anyway, look up Monster Beverage. The ticker is M-N-S-T, and, uh, and you can see. And the performance, I mean, it's, it's outperformed by, like, a lot, uh, and in the blog post, I put the monster beverage chart over the past 20 years, and you can see it's just a nice, you know, line going up and to the right over the past 20 years, monster beverages returned a whopping 130,697%. So, so think about that 20 years, 130,697%. It is insane. And that number is correct. Uh, in fact, even just year to date, since January of 2023, the total return is almost 35%. It might actually be a little bit more today. Um, let me see what Monster is doing today. I have not looked. Typing it in here. Yeah, Monster's up about 0.63%. So it's just continuing to, you know, kind of move up. So, um, that's a big number. And good news for a lot of us is that approximately 66% of the outstanding shares of Monster Beverage are held by institutions. And so odds are you're going to find Monster somewhere. And uh, if you own uh, like mutual funds or exchange traded funds, ETFs is the, the acronym for that. Um, chances are micro or monster Microsoft definitely is in those, but chances are monster beverages as well, as well. And if you pulled up the total holdings of any of those investments, you'll probably see it. Um, here's, what's interesting. The next highest performing stock over the past 20 years is Apple and it's 20 year total return is 61,169%. Nothing to sneeze at, but numerically it's half of monster beverage. And so that's really interesting. Here's what's hard about this. Um, performance trends are incredibly tricky. So when you look at things like this, you go, Oh man, I wish I would have bought monster beverage five years ago, 10 years ago, two years ago, one year ago in January, I wish I would have just bought it. You know, I mean, whatever it's, it's going to continue to grow. And you're going to think the same thing about all of these companies. You're going to think it about, um, if you don't own the companies like Apple, you know, by all means, if you would have bought Apple in you know, 1990, uh, you would have made a lot of money <laughs> by, by now if you would have just held on to it. Um, same thing if you bought uh, NVIDIA's stock, if you would have bought that uh, five, six, seven, eight years ago, um, you know, that would have been a very, very good buy. But when you look at the top performers, so I, I just gave you the 20-year numbers. If you look at top performers over just the past five years and isolate just the last five years, and then you broaden that out and isolate just the past 10 years. And then you do it again at 15 years. And then you do it again at 20 years. 
Monster Beverage, even though it's had the most performance by a mile and a half over the past 20 years, if you break it down to just that 15-year window, it's number 17 of the top 20 performers. So it's like way down the list. And then it doesn't even crack the top 20 uh, performing stocks in either the most recent five or 10-year period. So think about that. Over 20 years, it's had the best performance. Over 15 years, it comes way down the list, and then it doesn't even show up in, in 5 and 10. And that's the way stock picking works. So in the blog post, you can see uh, there's actually a chart of uh, the, the last five years and then the last 10 years and then the last 15 and the last 20. And you can see the names of the top 20 performing stocks over those period of times. And some stocks will show up in multiple uh, of those boxes, but some of them show up once and then never again. And if you look at the results, basically what, what you'll find is that a lot of stocks fall in and out of favor over time. And some of that is cyclical. Some of that is uh, event-driven. Some of it is earnings-driven. And uh, some of it's product-driven and things like that. Uh, some of it's economic, uh, just based on what's happening in the economy. But the, the point is, is when you're looking at stock picking, this is why we say that time in the market beats timing the market, right? So if you're just trying to quickly trade in and out of things, uh, it's very hard to be successful doing that. And that's why, um, you know, I look at things like day trading and just say, well, you know, uh, good luck because uh, day trading is hard, you know, and most of the time you're, you're trying to get just pennies of return when, you know, if you just buy something and you hold it as long as you possibly can, can stomach, um, based on whatever's happening with volatility, it, it, overall, you're going to do significantly better uh, than you would have. So there's always, uh, you know, what I called in the blog post darlings and doozies. And this is what happens, you know, basically year over year, some things are great, some things are not. And then the following year, the leadership in the market changes. Uh, there's actually a really cool chart that I, I often show clients. It's It's a quilt chart is what it's called. And it shows you what all of the different asset classes, where their returns are year over year for each individual year, going back like 20 or 30 years. And then you see what just a, you know, a moderately allocated portfolio where you have about 60% going to stocks and about 40% in um, bonds, alternatives, and cash. And you just see where that's performed over time. And even that moves up and down and, and its performance is different. But the leadership changes so frequently. I mean, for example, last year, energy, that asset class was the leader and technology was all the way at the bottom and technology was down significantly in 2022. But if you look at 2023, energy is sliding down uh, middle of the pack and technology is outperforming everything else. And so this just goes year over year. These things change. As I write as I wrote the post yesterday and as I do this podcast today, one day later, uh, the current darling in the market is NVIDIA. Now, they came out with earnings on uh, Wednesday night and uh, they gave a really super large forecast and it's all based on artificial intelligence or AI uh, and it's it's based on their forecast that the demand for semiconductors in certain areas is going to be significantly larger in the next year than what has been forecasted. And they gave a very large forward um, revenue estimate and the market loved it. And in fact, yesterday the stock went up about 27% and 
And uh, today, as I am looking uh, at my dashboard, uh, it's up another 2.35% uh, today. So big, big gain. And um, what's interesting about NVIDIA is you can see there's also, again, uh, lifemoveswealth.com slash stock picking. You can see this chart. Um, this stock, I've been following this stock since about uh, early 2016, I think. And uh, when I first started looking at it, it was trading somewhere around, I, I want to say $27, $28 a share, something like that. And one of the advisors I worked with at that time had bought a large block in his own account. And he said, hey, you guys ought to be buying this stuff. I mean, this is, you know, company. I, th I think they're going to be huge. And I looked at looked at it and I was like, ah, I don't know. Well, sure enough, within six months, the thing went from, you know, the 27 or 30 bucks, whatever it was trading at, uh, to just over $100. And it has since, it climbed up to, I want to say, somewhere in the $300 range and then came down and then it split a couple of times. And so it's had a great run. But if you look at the chart, it has been one of these stocks that takes a strong stomach to own because um, just recently, and I mean, like in the month of June, it's uh, oh, sorry, in the month of May, because we're not yet in June. I'm, I'm time machining us forward a, a couple of weeks. But early in the month of May, late in the month of April, uh, it just regained the level that it last hit in December of 2021. And uh, and in 2022, it had a price decline of roughly 65%. So think about this. You're holding a stock. It's been going up and then you're watching it drop, would you hold it all the way down to its bottom 65% off its high? I'm going to say chances are you won't, unless it's one of the stocks that you just leave in your portfolio and you don't even look at it and you'll see what it does in 10 years. Very, very few people have a stomach strong enough to watch a stock go down 65% and not want to panic and sell it, right? But that's what it did last year. So it hit its low in October of 2022, just like the rest of the market. And since October of 2022, after going down 65%, the stock has rocketed back almost 238% over the past eight months. Um, and, uh, and it's interesting because in October of 2018, the stock fell 54%. It recovered fully in April of 2020 and then climbed from there. So again, it, it's had a big run. It's up. But a stock like that with these kinds of major swings... Um, it, it takes a lot of patience and I've said a couple times, it takes a strong stomach and, um, it's, it's one of those stocks that you wish you had in your portfolio or you wish you would have bought on its own. Like I said, it's, it's definitely in, uh, some of the, the mutual funds and ETFs that you probably own. Um, in fact, a lot of, a lot of people, um, and a lot of my clients included own the, uh, iShares semiconductor ETF. I'm very long-term bullish on semiconductors. And so, this is an investment that I've had in the portfolio now for probably about four years. And uh, it's just, it's one of my core holdings. And so we invest in it and uh, it's been challenging to hold over the past year. But again, long-term, I believe semiconductors are uh, a huge part of our life. They're in probably multiple things that you're looking at at the moment. I mean, as I look at my desk, it's my cell phone, it's my uh, earpiece, it's my calculator, it's the um, the unit that's running this microphone, it's my computer, it's this, um, my, my magic mouse, it's the keyboard, 
uh, it's my watch. Semiconductors are in everything. If you're driving, it's all over your car. There's so many semiconductors in your car that's making that thing function. So long-term, I'm completely bullish on semiconductors. And, um, and that ETF, the iShares Semiconductor ETF, is up 5.6% today. And yesterday, it had a great day as well. And it's all because, uh, so NVIDIA happens to be the, the largest holding in that ETF, but it holds probably something like 33, 35, I had, I'd have to look at the number again, but somewhere in there, uh, semiconductor companies. And right now, if you punch in any semiconductor company you want, I can just go through the list. And so uh, you've got uh, Broadcom is up 8% today. Uh, Anet's up 8%. Uh, Micron Technologies up 67 Teradyne's up six. Uh, On Semiconductors up five point seven. Uh, Western Digital's up five point five. NXP is up. Uh, NXPI or NXP Semiconductors is up five point four. Kalax up five point three. I mean, uh, Qualcomm is up five percent. Uh, Adobe's up five percent. Uh, Microchip Technologies up five percent. Fortive is up four point seven. AMD's up four point six. And and Intel's up four point two. And and on and on and on. Uh, Texas Instruments is up almost four. So these companies that have exposure uh, or that mine or, or produce these uh, semiconductors, they're, they're really having a great day. And that's all because one company said, we think that this is going to be huge. A year ago, you would not have wanted to buy any of these companies because they were all down very big. Like I said, NVIDIA was down 65% in 2022. And that's what makes stock picking hard. Now, here's the thing. So that's the current darling. There was a darling last year that's now a little bit of a doozy, uh, and that's what happens. So stocks that perform well in one year, they don't necessarily perform well in the next. It happens all the time. And in fact, if you start the year by investing in whatever the prior year's uh, highest performing stocks are, there's a really good chance that's going to be a recipe for disappointment. And I can go back year over year and show you the stop the the top performing stocks year by year and where they fell the next year and the next year and such happens all the time so the best performing stock in 2022 i said earlier the best performing sector was energy the best performing stock in 2022 was occidental petroleum which is ticker oxy and it had a total return from january to december the end of december of 119.1% roughly the stock year to date is down 22%. And so it hit its high in early November of 2022, and it's just been on a slide now. So if you bought Occidental last fall, you bought it at its high, and now it's coming down. So again, if you bought a stock and it's down 22%, do you, are, is your stomach and your patience strong enough to continue to hold that stock through that kind of performance? Chances are. Not that great. If you look at uh, Occidental's chart, which again is on the blog post, lifemoveswealth.com slash stock picking, um, you can see their 10-year chart. I've got a relative strength indicator at the bottom, and that's uh, relative strength just for ease of explanation tells you if the stock is uh, fairly valued or if it's overbought or oversold. And you can just see how that stock just bounces from overbought to oversold, overbought, oversold. It just does this big, you know, yin and yang thing. And um, and it it had a it had a really crazy drop in 2020. A great story, which you will not find on the blog post, but I'm going to tell you because you're listening to the podcast. 
2020. So this is March. I want to say like March 7th. I, for some reason, the date, it was like the 6th or 7th, just kind of sticks in my brain. 2020, I'm sitting in my office with a prospective client. Now, this guy, uh, he came in. He was referred to me. And uh, he said, look, I have, uh, I have X number of a lot of dollars <laughs> uh, to invest, and I want something that's going to pay me a dividend and, uh, and not be that volatile. And so we were looking across, uh, you know, several different investments. And, and remember, March of 2020, things were kind of funky, especially early in March. Like there was just a weird vibe in the air. And then, of course, a week later, we found out what the vibe was uh, literally in the air. Not great. But we're looking, and um, I, I happen to pull up Occidental. It's a company that I had followed for a long time. And uh, I said, you know, uh, I said, at that point, I think oil was trading around 26 bucks a barrel. And I was like, oil's down. This is an opportunity uh, to get a great company at a significant discount, not only in price, uh, but also in its multiple. I think at that point, Oxy was trading for around 13, 14 bucks a share. Uh, because the stock had sold off so much in that time period, the dividend was up to like 11, 12, 13%, something like that. So I looked at it and I said, look, you're going to get, you're going to get roughly a 13% dividend. The stock price is around $13. It normally should be trading two or three or four times that dollar amount. And, uh, now as that share price comes up, you know, you would expect the dividend to come back down, that kind of thing. But, um, it's such a great opportunity for something to look at. It's just something that I think will probably rebound once we get through whatever this weirdness was with the oil stuff. And uh, so we, the more we talked about it, you know, we probably went another 10 or 15 minutes around a couple of different stocks. And I went to pull the stock back up. And literally as we were talking, they cut the dividend to zero. And so I looked at this guy and I said, hey, so that kind of cuts half of our investment thesis right there because there's no more dividends. So that was a, that was a big part of the attraction. And, uh, you know, I think the dividend normally would have been something uh, in the range of like maybe, I don't know, five or six percent. Um, right now, I think the the dividend uh, is still low for Oxy. It's down to about one point two. So it, it would have been a little bit higher than um, normally. And then of course it was up to 13. So then they cut it to zero, no dividend stock price was at 13. And then just like that, the stock price dropped to 10 and, uh, oil went negative like two days later. And, uh, and I think it went to like negative 25 bucks a barrel. So literally they were paying you to go pick it up at the oil reserve. And, uh, I wish I would have bought oxy in my own account at that point but i looked at that and i was like oh man this is like this is uncharted territory i've never seen negative oil pricing in my lifetime i don't know where this is going to go it just seems like that would be foolish to put a bunch of money into something and then i mean who knows what's going to happen right at that point we didn't know i mean the whole world was just weird and we knew that the world was weird for about the next year after that but anyway that's a kind of a funny little story about oxy in particular but if you look at the chart for that particular stock over 20 years, I mean, it's a fairly sideways moving company. There's some ups and some downs, nothing crazy. And then you can see this massive drop into March of 2020. And then you can see a fairly quick rebound. It took to about 2022 for it to get back to its even. And then it was just the best performing stock last year because of that increase. The thing with stock picking and especially if you're a performance chaser is it's very much like the uh the proverbial live by the sword 
die by the sword. And charts like the, the NVIDIA chart and the Oxy chart and the Monster Beverage chart and any chart you want to pull up, is uh, they can be very helpful if you're doing technical analysis and you're trying to spot trends based on uh, you know, seasonal or cyclical things that happen with the stock. I mean, if you're getting really, really into technical analysis, and I put a link in the blog post to explain what technical analysis is, but if you're getting really down the road in that, and I did for a while because I wanted to learn, um, you know, you can see where, you know, things would make, you know, a, a double top or a double bottom or a cup and handle pattern or a bullish flag, bearish flag, you know, a, a, a hanging hammer, rising hammer. Like there's all these weird little patterns that you can pull out and those can typically potentially tell you what might happen to the stock going forward based on prior trends but it's not a it's not a great way to do predicting um you can get fairly close and and do okay but the thing is is that we none of us know what in the world's going to happen i mean think about some of the recent things that none of us saw coming right none of us saw um, what happened with, let's say, Budweiser or even recently with Target, where you can have a, uh, a public backlash and the stock just gets punished right away. And so do the products. And none of us see those things coming. So you can read the chart all you want. But something like that happens. That's nowhere. Nowhere in the technical analysis can you find that. You also can't find it in the fundamental analysis because those are the things. I believe in what's called an efficient market. Sorry about that. I just bumped the microphone. I believe in what's called an efficient market. And what that means is that all information that is able and eligible to be known is known about the company. And then, you know, there's the, the only other thing is any kind of insider trading or the things that we don't know. Um, so I, I think that things are researched like crazy. I think we know a lot about companies. I think they have to be very public about, um, especially with quarterly earnings and things like that. So there's not a whole lot that we don't know. Uh, and can be surprised by, but sometimes we do get surprised by weird earnings. We get surprised by weird uh, forward estimates. We get surprised by weird things that happen in the economy. Sometimes, you know, we don't see, uh, like, for example, stocks that would be selling off because of the potential with this debt ceiling thing. And if you listen to uh, the most recent episode, which is episode 22 of the Financial Purpose Podcast, I talked about the debt ceiling and gave my opinion on it. And uh, I'll tell you, we're a couple of days away from the deadline. And my opinion holds true. They're going to get the they're going to get the debt ceiling done. Uh, neither party can afford politically to not do the deal. They they would rather get the mileage on the on the campaign trail to you know bash the other people for not coming to the table you know to negotiate for the American people whatever they consider that to be. They'll get a lot of mileage out of that, and then we'll fight about the debt ceiling again in about a year, year and a half, something like that. So they're going to get it done. We're not going to have a stock market crash, and I will fall on my sword, mea culpa. If I'm incorrect and they don't get the deal done, but I don't think that's going to happen. But outside of that, you can't really get all of the trends that are going to tell you what's going to happen because there's always these little surprises. Um, I'll tell you the technical analysis can be completely non-helpful for long-term investors who may be tempted to sell on reading something weird uh, on timing. And and here, great example. I did this myself. Going back to, I, I remember if it was 2016 or 2017, but I had bought stock in my account in CSX, the train company. And I think it was selling for about $26, $27 when I bought it. And it had uh, over a couple of weeks that it climbed up to about 30 and then it dropped back down 
you know, three or 4%. And I looked at the technicals and I was trying to, you know, read it. And uh, I decided I would sell while I still had a little bit of a profit. And within about maybe three weeks after that, the stock went from going to about 29. It bounced up to something like $37. And so I lost out because I misread a trend. And the point is, is that I tend to be more of a long-term investor, just like I am with my clients. So I was tempted and I felt of the temptation to sell by trying to misread a signal and trying to outsmart the market and, uh, and do a little bit of market timing. And, um, it just doesn't work. So when you look at, um, those kinds of things, my mistakes make me slow to, trade and rebalance in client accounts when I see trends shift. Now, there are some things where I say, hey, let's maybe try to get ahead of this. I think this is where this is going. And that's what I did in 2021. I had been uh, fairly heavily tilted to growth. Uh, growth started selling off in like February of 2021. And uh, the market was searching for leadership. And so I started moving money into value. And value is what did really well in 2022. Um, and it, it helped our portfolios not go down as much of, as, uh, say, the rest of the market or even some of the things. But I have been slow this year to move from value and tilt back into growth. And that so far, growth is what has done really well this year. So I'm starting to, to move money that direction. But that's where it becomes very, very difficult because temporary underperformance like what we saw in 2021 with technology eventually can lead to steady performance and sometimes even outperformance like what we're seeing in 2023. And so you just have to be able to move with trends cautiously, carefully, smartly doing some research, um, but just pulling that lever back and forth all the time and getting very herky jerky with your portfolio uh, is going to be, um, is going to be, you know, kind of not a great experience. I had an old investor tell me early in my career that the portfolios are a lot like a bar of soap. And the more you touch it, the smaller it gets. And that analogy is just stuck with me because he is correct. But here's the thing. When you're tempted to move around with, uh, because of changing trends, the thing that I have to remember is I have a criteria that I make or that I follow for investing and I tend to focus more on long-term fundamentals than I do on trends because I know that trends are cyclical. I know that things are going to move up and down. I know that year over year winners aren't going to continue to stay winners, but long-term I want the results over 10, 15, 20 years. I don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily matter to me as much what a, a given investment class does in 2023 as it does what it as it matters to me what it does over the next 10 years. And that's really hard to to say. And it's really hard to hear because some clients go, what do you mean? You don't, it doesn't matter what happens this year because this year, you know, it determines what happens next year. Maybe, maybe I'm interested in long term risk adjusted returns. And that to me is far more important and far more healthy for your portfolio than trying to chase whatever is winning in 2023, because we're going to have to be right twice. We have to be right when we go in and we have to be right when we go out or vice versa. We have to be right when we sell it and then we have to be right when we buy it. Either way, I've got to be right twice because if I'm wrong once or even wrong twice, I'd, I'd actually rather be wrong twice by not doing anything than to be wrong once by missing one side of that trade and then causing us to either overpay 
for something or hold on to something too long because we're chasing a return. Um, and, and this is important, and this is where this is going. I believe a lot of investment mistakes are made when investors make investment decisions without having any kind of dependable investment discipline. Uh, typically, fear and FOMO, all right, the fear of missing out, those are often the basis for investment decisions. And here's the thing about fear and FOMO. Those are both emotional responses and they're hijacks to logic. And when you violate a defined investment discipline, or if you don't have one, which a lot of people don't, and even a lot of financial advisors don't have an investment discipline, they don't. But when you don't have one or you violate your investment discipline, there's a good chance that you're going to chase something that will be hazardous to your wealth. So I want to talk for the rest of the podcast about how to create an investment discipline. And this is important. This is something you can do on your own. This is something that you can take to your financial advisor if you have one and ask them what their investment investment discipline is. Um, clients of Life Moves Wealth Management, you can bring this question right to me. I have an investment discipline. I have a core portfolio. I have all of these things uh, for a reason. So let me give you some tips on how to create your investment discipline. And there's a couple of steps. So the first thing that you want to do is define the reasons why you're investing. And I know that sounds stupid. You're like, Dale, that's a stupid thing to say because duh, the reason to invest is to make money. Okay. Why? What's the purpose of that? What is it that you want to achieve? What's the purpose of you achieving those investments? Here's what I mean by that. Are you funding education? For your kids, are you saving for a specific purchase like a house or a car or a second home or a, an RV or uh, some toys or you know whatever? What are you saving for over the next, say, two to five years? Um, or are you looking even longer term and thinking, I'm going to start a business. I need to supplement income. I need to have an emergency fund. Uh, I'm going to fund retirement, whatever retirement means to me at some point. And... Um, and so you have to know exactly what your purpose is. And when you know your purpose, the way we do it at Life Moves Wealth is we, we write a financial, a statement of financial purpose. And so we use that as a barometer to make sure that we're staying on track. So if we're making decisions about our investments or about our cash flow or about our insurance or taxes or estate planning or things that we're buying or selling, we're doing that through the lens of our financial purpose. So that way we know that the, the decisions we're making actually align with what we value and what we say is most important. So that way we're not subject to moving a bunch of things around really quickly when we are hijacked by fear or and or FOMO. Second thing is decide the time period for making that investment. So um, my clients will hear me say this, that there are investment buckets that play different games. Uh, 401ks, IRAs, accounts like that that are that are designed to be longer term and designed to uh, actually be retirement accounts, those play a completely different game than a cash account or a brokerage account that has investments or a 529 account that's saving for education or a beneficiary or inherited IRA where you have to get the money out within 10 years now, especially if you've inherited it uh, since... Um, since uh, January 1st of 2020, yeah, 2020, actually, um, you've got to get that money out in 10 years. So th those investments all play different games. 
And so you have to know what your time period is because that's going to determine which game we're playing and what set of rules are we playing by. The longer the time period, the more patience you can have during market volatility. You can actually let your investments, once you have your strategy set, you can let them ride through the waves of market volatility. It's exactly what I did last year with my client portfolios. We we had an okay year in 2021 because we started moving money. I, I was trying to go to where the puck was going, right? To uh, use the Wayne Gretzky analogy, that's where it went. We did okay in 2022. And now we're a little bit behind in 2023 as we slowly make those adjustments. But again, I'm being very cautious not to be chasing a trend that could actually start to fall off or it could be sustained. And I want to just slowly move in that direction so that way we're not putting all of our energy into something that is is a bit more risky. Um, but you've got to know your timeframes, right? So for long-term accounts, we can make those moves because I know that over time, things are probably going to work out. Um, there's always going to be market volatility. Long-term investors should not be driven by fear and they should not be driven by FOMO. They should be cautious of fear and FOMO. And actually, just like uh, like Charlie Munger would say, you use those opportunities to rebalance portfolios. When people are fearful, that's when you want to be buying. And when people are buying, you want to be a little bit more cautious because it probably means that people are chasing a trend or, or maybe there's a bubble forming or something like that. Um, and so know your time frame, right? So I'm sorry, going back to number one, so far we've covered know your purpose for investing and then second know your time frame next number three is you need to understand the amount of risk that you're comfortable taking with your investment strategy and i put a link in the in the blog post again one more time lifemoveswealth.com slash stock picking um, and you can click on the link understand the amount of risk you're comfortable taking it'll take you to my risk assessment, which you can do. It's it's no cost, no obligation. Do it for yourself. I'll be happy to help you understand what it is, um, especially if you're not a client of Life Moves Wealth. You should at least have some way to judge your risk. Uh, I don't do it in the uh, the traditional way of, you know, you're either a, uh, a an aggressive, a moderate, or a conservative investor. We actually get to understand exactly where you are in the risk process and it gives you uh, kind of fun. It gives you a little speed limit sign. And so that helps us understand how fast you're comfortable going with your investments because risk is a key component to your investment selection and your allocation. Um, and what's interesting is that if you take that, if you would have taken that uh, risk analysis, say in the middle of 2022. So this time last year, the market uh, had just hit a bear market. We had just come down 20%. Inflation had hit 9.1%. Things were really just like coming off the rails. It was not a great time. If you had taken that risk assessment exactly the end of May last year, uh, you probably would have had a much lower speed limit. If you take it this year, after seeing some of the things that are happening where the market's going up and maybe it's not quite as scary, although a lot of people feel more scared this summer than they did last summer, which is odd to me. But anyway, um, if you take that investment thing now, what happens is fear and FOMO can actually influence how you feel about risk. So when you take something like that, or you're thinking about your risk, try to assess it from a mindset of you're in a steady market and nothing major is happening, nothing major is moving, and you expect that things will just continue to, to move incrementally higher. So now that you have those things covered, you have your purpose, number one. Number two, you have your time frame. Number three, you have your risk tolerance. The next step is to set your investment allocation 
according to those three things. So again, if you're looking at the risk methodology that I use, it's through a company called Nitrogen, uh, and they uh, are the owners of the brand Riskalyze, which makes that uh, survey. Um, if your speed limit is 65, let's say you're comfortable uh, going about 65 miles per hour, that's moderate speed. I mean, you think about it on the highway, 65 might be kind of a little bit slow, but for most investors, that's kind of right in range. And if your speed limit is 65, uh, an allocation of about 65% or so to stocks might be appropriate. And you might give yourself a 5% wiggle room in there to let things kind of float up or down. So maybe you're comfortable at 65, but you're okay going up to 70. Uh, and you're okay coming down to 60, but no less than 60 and no more than 70. That's fine. So for a modern investor with a long time frame, sample allocation might look something like 65% stocks with approximately 15% of that being in international and approximately 50% being in U.S. or domestic stocks. Maybe 23% goes to fixed income or bonds. 10% uh, would go to alternative investments and then about 2% stays in cash. And uh, that sample allocation can be kind of dialed up or dialed down. And, and that's just a, a little example of what that might look like. A shorter term investor, again, you're going to play by a different set of rules. You might want to take the extra step of setting specific up and down limits. So, for example, if you have an investment in your account that goes up in a short period of time by 10%, maybe that becomes uh, an investment that you look to sell. If you have an investment that goes down uh, by 10%, over a short period of time. And by short period of time, I mean within a year, maybe six months, eight months, something like that. Uh, then maybe something that goes down 10% should be uh, sold or reviewed uh, to be potentially sold. And that's going to be if you have a shorter term goal. So say if you're saying for the next two years, I need to save for a down payment on a house, but I want to invest so I can get a little bit more uh, push than I would if it's in a savings account or a certificate of deposit or something like that. And so you want to have some limits on what you're willing to risk based on how much money you're going to need in two years. So if you're not sure how to evaluate um, that allocation, you don't know how to look at stocks and bonds, you don't know what any of it means, um, or if you're just, it's exhausting, and it is exhausting to go through, you know, 6,000 plus listed securities and try to find uh, the one for you. And that's just on stocks. Imagine going through a bond um uh, analyzer and looking at all these individual municipal bonds and corporate bonds and things. It's confusing. And it's just a lot of information to try to absorb. What you can do is you can consider uh, mutual funds or exchange trade funds, ETFs. Um, you can choose a fund for an entire index. So say like the S&P 500 index, or you can choose a factor uh, fund that's going to invest in like specific things like growth, or maybe value, or maybe large cap growth, or maybe small cap value, or mid cap, whatever. Um, you can do those, or uh, those are factor funds, or you can do sector funds like healthcare, or um, technology, or uh, infrastructure, or real estate, right? Those kinds of things. Um, and the, the benefit of something like an ETF or a mutual fund is they allow you to participate in the collective growth of many companies rather than trying to pick just one or two or five or seven winners. And on that note, if you have a small investment account, and I mean small, you know, less than $5,000 or so, uh, it does you absolutely no good to go in and buy one or two shares of 20 different stocks. Don't do that. 
Um, it's it's just going to take you very, very long time to get anywhere because that's a very inefficient way to invest because small dollars grow small dollars. So it would be better if you, let's say you have $5,000, it's better for you if you say, I'm going to pick two or three investments or specific stocks that I want to invest in. I'm going to put my money there. Or even better, you can say, I'm going to buy one ETF or mutual fund that is a mixed allocation fund where I can have, you know, say 70% to stocks and 30% to bonds, or it's an 80-20 fund or something like that. And then let that money park until you build that up to say maybe 8,000 or 10,000, and then you can expand your investment. So don't just go out and buy 20, you know, stocks with two shares each. This is not going to be very helpful to you. Um, all right. So the key to investing and the key to investment success over time is the asset allocation. It's not necessarily what you buy. It's not necessarily who's managing the fund. And it's not necessarily when you buy it. It's the actual allocation. And this has been studied for years and years and years. But when you set your asset allocation, you can occasionally rebalance it. Stick to your guns on this because it's going to help you avoid the emotional decisions that are driven by fear and FOMO. And if you, if a stock you own, um, if a, I'm sorry, if a stock that you don't own starts ripping, so say like, for example, you don't own NVIDIA, but it starts going crazy, don't chase it. You've already missed the run. And so you're going to get in on something more people are going to try to pile in because it's already made a big move. You're not going to be as effective. Um, but if a stock you own falls fast, same thing. You may not want to sell it because some people may rush in to buy it depending on what it is. And that's going to help stabilize your price. So you've got to really look at these things. And it's got to come through the lens of an investment discipline. It keeps you on top of what you own. It keeps you on top of why you own it. And then, of course, for what time period based on your risk, right? So all the things that we've already talked about. When you stick to your investment strategy, it's going to help you ride the inevitable volatility waves that come with investing. You're going to avoid the trap of chasing investment performance. And you're going to, you're going to end out doing much better. And you're going to like your results over time because you avoided all that other stuff. So that's pretty much that. Again, go to lifemoveswealth.com slash stockpicking to read the uh, to read the blog post. If you found this helpful, share the blog post, uh, share this podcast episode. And, uh, you know, for those of you who are out investing on your own, if you want to get a second opinion on your investment strategy, simply go to go over to lifemoveswealth.com, send me an email or send an email to info at lifemoveswealth.com. And I'm happy to talk with you about what you have offer some advice. And here's the thing. I'm a big fan of helping people get some of their questions answered before they become clients. And so sometimes just a little bit of point you in the right direction gives you what you need to move forward. And, uh, and by all means, I'm happy to be the guy that helps you do that. Um, but for some people, they just say, I've been trying to do this on my own. I, I can't do it on my own. I don't know what else. I don't know what my investments are doing to my taxes and my, my assets and my estate plan and those kinds of things. And I just, I need help from a qualified financial advisor to do it. Let's talk and let's see if it makes sense to do that. So anyway, please like, subscribe, leave a comment, uh, send an email to me again, info at lifemoveswealth.com. And uh, I hope that you found this helpful. So good luck with your investments uh, and your investing activities. Get an investment discipline and stick to it. And uh, refer back to this blog post and this podcast episode 
again, uh, to follow those steps. Until next time, take care. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Learn more about your financial purpose at lifemoveswealth.com.